big is an atom? Can anybody tell me? How would you describe how big an atom is? I hear two answers, small and tiny. And both answers are exactly right. An atom is tiny. Rutherford figured out how to split one of them little things. And then later on, people took his scientific discoveries and enlarged upon them and developed them until we got to the place where, boom, these great, big, fierce, tremendously destructive reactions take place, all because somebody figured out how to harness power that is right there inside something so small you couldn't even see it with the naked eye. There's something about something small which when exposed to the right conditions can do something huge, something big, something great. Let's go to our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14 and we're going to see how this idea is demonstrated in the history of Israel in particular a certain chapter a certain experience in the history of Israel first Samuel and chapter 14 and verse 1 I start to read where the Bible says it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor come and let us go over to the Philistines garrison that's on the other side but he didn't tell his father his father was King Saul King Saul was the man for the job you understand that sometimes God gives you what you want even though it's not in your best interests the people clamored for a king begged for a king wanted to have a king God had to allow them to see that their choices to go with a king rather than the kingship of God would only lead them in the wrong direction he selected a king the right man God didn't make a mistake he picked the right man gave him the right opportunities at the right time but sadly King Saul made the wrong decisions and here they were now on the wrong side of an attack of the Philistines Saul should have stood up this big tall man this capable man this able warrior he should have stood up and he said I will lead the charge and God will go with us let's go but he did not instead he was reclining he was I hardly would call it relaxing but he there he was enjoying the gentle shade of a pomegranate tree here his son Jonathan says to his armor bearer let's go and Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron and the people that were with him were about 600 men and Ahiah the son of Ahitab Ichabod's brother the son of Phinehas the son of Eli the Lord's priest in Shiloh wearing an ephod and the people knew not that Jonathan had gone and between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines garrison there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side and the name of the one was Bozes and the other was named Sene the forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah and Jonathan said to the young man listen now Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised I want you to listen carefully to what he says it may be that the Lord will work for us here it is for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few I hope you caught that 
There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You see, the king was in a pickle. He had rashly offered a sacrifice that he was not sanctioned to offer. Too impatient to wait for the man of God, Samuel, to arrive. Samuel did arrive, but not on the king's timetable. He arrived on God's timetable. And as much as we don't like it sometimes, God's timetable is always better. Can you say amen to that this morning? It's always better. There were 36,000 chariots arrayed against Israel. There were 6,000 horsemen and people, and I quote now, as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude arrayed against Israel. Saul is informed by Samuel that his kingdom will not continue. Upon which communication, he, the prophet leaves the king to his own devices. Saul does a head count. And he discovers that at his disposal are 600 men against 36,000. And not only that, but it gets worse. Israel was disheartened and dispersed. Israel was diminished and disarmed. No longer in any way were they the masters of their own destiny. The text says there were no smiths in all of Israel. If you wanted something sharpened, you had to go to the Philistines to get it sharpened. The Bible says there was no sword nor spear found among the people of Israel, except those that were in the hand of Saul and Jonathan. Get this. Only Saul and Jonathan possessed a weapon. Two armed men, 598 unarmed men, against 36,000 men who were armed to the teeth. You can hardly get a more disconsolate bunch than that. So goes the saying, cometh the hour, cometh the man. These desperate times called for decisive action. The man who should have stood up and led his people was the king, but the king was now without the advantage of a spine. And he was unable to do that which God would have had him do. Far from taking the lead, He's sitting in the shade hoping that somehow this problem will just go away. And friend, this is when the Holy Spirit is striving. You know because you know the story that God's going to do something great. But it looks like God's hands are tied. It looks like the situation's hopeless. It looks like not even a miracle could save Israel now. Here's something that it would do us well to understand when we're thinking about evangelism. When we're thinking about soul winning. When we're thinking about witnessing. When we're thinking about an effort in our small town where it seems like people don't respond. When it seems like we're, we're not able to get through to our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues. Here's something to remember. And that is that God is working. You may not see evidence of the fact, but God is working. The Spirit of God is striving with hearts right now. The Spirit of God is going after your wayward children right now. I'm not telling you they're listening, but God is speaking, God is knocking on the door of hearts, God is whispering in ears, God is touching people's lives. There I was in Florida, Daytona Beach, I was there for a, a work thing a number of years ago. It's terrible when in the name of work you have to be in Daytona Beach, Florida. That's rough, but you know, I've, I've just said, wherever the Lord sends me. Now, I've got to balance that up. I held a series of meetings in Grand Forks, North Dakota once. 
which is a tremendous place, and North Dakotans are about the nicest people in the world, I've figured out. But I, I, we went there in the dead of winter, the dead of winter. And we say, are you sure the people will come out to an evangelistic meeting in winter in North Dakota? And you know what they say? Oh, sure, they're used to it. Oh, yeah, they do anything. And, and when the weather's good, they just want to go out and do stuff. So you've got to preach in the winter. Well, that was fine until the weather got down to 29 degrees below zero, not counting the wind chill and the wind was blowing a gale. Yeah, we had like five people come out that night. But this day we're in Daytona Beach, Florida, and a colleague's wife who was from Hawaii and I believe was delivered on a surfboard. She may, well, may as well have been. She was an expert surfer. She offered to teach me how to surf. I've never surfed. I grew up 40 minutes from one of the best left-hand breaks on the planet, and I never surfed. I just, I just never did. So here we are standing in the, in the, the whatever, this deep water, and she's helping me figure out how to get on. Before you surf, you've got to get on the surfboard. And I discovered that getting on a surfboard is no mean feat. That's difficult because these things, they wobble. It's water. <laughs> If you could get on the surfboard on land and then go out to the water, that would be easier. Getting on, I'm wobbling, I'm falling off, I'm drinking salt water. I said to her, so what happens when I finally get up? What do I do then? She said, no problem. All you've got to do is catch the wave, she said. Now, I didn't have a whole lot of optimism about the idea that I could even do that. I said, what if I miss the wave? She said, it's all right. There's another one coming. Just catch that wave. I realized something. If I got up on the surfboard, I didn't have to invent the art of forward motion. If I got up on the surfboard, the wave would carry me to where I needed to go. You understand what I'm saying? Now, in the same way, ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is at work. And what we need to figure out is how to catch the wave, how to harness the power. It's like these people, and we have a brother here today who's, who's, who works with the wind turbines, those lovely things that decorate the landscape from sea to shining sea, and they're the way forward because we're running out of fuel in the ground and these things don't pollute. You know what I'm saying. And so uh, they figured out long ago, well, instead of drilling in the ground, there's all this energy just blowing around out there. Let's harness that. It's like solar energy. The sun's burning all day long, and that's just energy pouring down. The Spirit of God is working all day long. I want you to be encouraged today. Ours is to catch the wave and work in harmony with the great, mighty, enormous power of the living God. Can you say amen? When you're talking to somebody about Jesus, you don't have to convince them of anything. I'm not saying you need to just blunder your way through. We ought to be intelligent and, and, and studied about this. But God's at work. No human alive ever converted a soul. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we work in concert with the great, mighty third person of the Godhead, great things happen for God's kingdom. Somebody ought to be able to say amen this morning. The Holy Spirit was striving, striving. And here's Jonathan planning to go forward and do something remarkable. The situation called for more than something. It called for someone. The someone should have been Saul, but he was AWOL. So God, instead of lifting up an army, 
moved on those who were willing. In fact, moved on he who was willing. God was going to turn it around. God was going to send 36,000 armed men fleeing, packing. And how was he going to do it? He was going to do it by demonstrating the power of one. Jonathan did something radical. In, you know, it was outrageous, really. Under normal circumstances, Jonathan's mission would have been doomed to fail. If Jonathan had gone to the church board, your church board, and requested authorization for doing what he was about to do, there would have been some saints who took him aside and said, Now, Jonathan, we appreciate your zeal. But some of us, with more experience than you, are in a position to share with you our good judgment. It would be better if you didn't go. If Jonathan had applied to his ministerial secretary for a budget to prosecute this campaign, he would have been told that in the opinion of the conference, as laudable as it was, this effort was too high risk. The likelihood of him actually getting any results was pretty low, so really, the brethren feel like there isn't money available, Jonathan, for this effort. Not this year. Maybe next. Come back next year. And it is a lesser individual who is constrained by budgets and board actions in these situations. A man lesser than Jonathan would have decided the mission was too risky, but driven by the Spirit of God, Jonathan could not capitulate. He would not relinquish. He did not shrink from facing up to the burden the Lord had put on his heart. You see, God had spoken to Jonathan. And Jonathan had heard the word of God. And this is what God said to Jonathan. He said, Jonathan, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. And Jonathan said, what, Lord? Me against all them? And God said, no limit. Jonathan said, but wait a minute, wait a minute. 36,000 chariots and a multitude of soldiers against 600 of us, and all we've got is two weapons? And God said, Jonathan, didn't you hear me? No limit. I could die out there, God. And if I died in service, what use would I be to your people then? God said, no limit. All alone, no limit to the usefulness of one Jonathan. All right, he said, if you are with me, I will go. And with the boldness of Elijah standing before King Ahab or Daniel before Darius, Jonathan set his face like flint and accompanied by only his armor bearer, went up to engage the ferocity of a garrison of Philistine warriors. They work out a plan ahead of time. Depending on how things work out, we'll know if God is with us or not. And if God is with us, We'll go forward and we'll take care of business. You know, the key in serving Christ, the key in any type of mission service, any type of evangelistic endeavor, the key question is this question. Is God with us? That's the question. If God is with us, we have nothing to fear. It's interesting. One time in a, in a church where I was pastoring, 
I floated a question regarding some type of evangelistic endeavor in a board meeting. And I sat back to watch because I knew observing the dynamic would be interesting. You had some people who said, let's do it. Then you had some people who said, let's not do it. And then after the initial, let's do it, let's not do it, people started to reason. Well, we need to go ahead because this is what God has asked us to do. And then, well, yeah, that, that, that's, that's good to say. That's good to say. But can we afford it? These things are expensive. And besides, we tried that once before. When was that? When was that, brother? Was, was, that, was that 15 years ago? No, 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 it was 18. Are you sure? Yeah, 18. We tried that 18 years ago. Didn't work too flash. You're missing the point. If God wants us to do it, if money's an issue, he'll, you know, we've got to think about this, but he'll make the funds available, won't he? And surely it was just remarkable. Here you had the, the, the reasoners who were saying, no, you know, there's a million reasons why we shouldn't do this. And then God bless him. You had people on the other side of the sphere who were saying, Here's the one thing we need to reason, and that is, is God calling us to go forward? All of his biddings are enablings. Can you say amen to that? I believe that. Jonathan was urged by God to go forward. And what he wanted to know is, is God with us? If God is leading his people, we cannot afford to follow in his footsteps. There was Peter in a boat. It's a foolish thing to try to climb out of a boat and walk on water, but he wasn't asking about the physics of it all and the chemistry of it all and the science of it all. He was dealing with the faith of it all. Lord, if that's you, I will come. And he did. When God calls the smallest one to perform a giant task in his service, even if all you've got in your hand is a piece of leather and five little stones, that's enough when accompanied by the blessing of God. There they were in a boat, and the boat was starting to sink. I love the word in the King James. It says they were in jeopardy. I just love it. And they're bailing out, and they're bailing out, and the water's coming in faster than they can bail it out. And the wind is howling, much like it was last night. And the waves on the sea are, are roiling, and they fear that they're going to die. And they wake up Jesus, and Jesus said to them, O ye of That can seem just a tad unreasonable. <laughs> Jesus, are you unaware that we are about to die out here? It's all hands on deck. You're sleeping. Oh, ye of little assistance. <laughs> We're going to drown. It would be a shame for you to drown with us. And Jesus says... O ye of what? I mean, was he, was he just being pious? Was he, was he doing a holier than thou? I can have faith in a storm, even if we are going to sink. Oh no, what Jesus said was, was startlingly true and really very powerful. If you remember that story, just before that time, Jesus had said to them, let's get in the boat and do what? Go to the other side of the lake. Now, is there power in the word of God, yes or no? When God speaks, is what God says going to happen, yes or no? Okay, now, based on the authority of the word of God, 
those people were going where? To the other side of the lake. Storm or not? Gale or not? Rain, wind, waves like this or not? Jesus said, y'all get in the boat. We are going to the other side. They could have just sat back in that boat while the rain came down and said, well, this is going to be interesting, but he's promised we're getting to the other side, so somehow we're going to get to the other side. And as the boat was sinking beneath the waves, one of them should have said, I know what, he's going to turn it into a submarine, and we're going to get there that way. <laughs> Jesus said, we are going to the other side. And because he spoke definitively, the Word of God is going to do what the Word of God says it will do. Is God with us? That's the question. Jonathan was moved by a divine impulse to go and make a difference. One man, just one. Now, that is one man and his armor bearer. I will grant you that. One man and his armor bearer. They left their camp secretly. Why? Because if anybody found out, they would only try and talk them out of what they knew they had to do. They were determined that God would make a difference through them, and so off they went. Jonathan is stealing towards the Philistine fortress, creeping forward under the warmth of a, of a, of a Mediterranean sun. No gentle breeze. They were 30 miles or so from the Mediterranean, five miles from the Dead Sea. I'm sure his nerves were calm, but I suspect if he was halfway human, his heart would have been thumping in his chest because he knew that he was on the way to do something decisive. And that's when he says to his attendants something that ought to ring in our hearts and minds. First Samuel 14 and verse 6, I shall read it again. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Oh, that we would remember these words. God need not have an army. God needs just one man. God needs just one. One woman, I remember reading the story of Luther Warren, and Luther Warren was a young boy in his church, and he said, oh, we need something for young people in our church. And he and his friends stopped by the side of the road and prayed, and by the time they were done, the MV Society had been established and started to spread all around the world because of some kid barely into his teens praying and allowing God to use him. When he went to the church board, the board told him, too young, boy. Leave that to us. He wouldn't because God had called him. You've read where the Bible says, The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. God gave his people victory over 185,000 Assyrian soldiers without even a shot being fired. All they needed to do was be willing to be trusting. He said to these people, Walk around Jericho. Do this every day. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And then... Shout. You know, that took more faith on the part of the people than it did on the part of the leadership. Because I guarantee you, after about the fourth day, some guy's walking and he says to the guy in front, Why are we doing this? Oh, because we're going to take Jericho. Where are the cannons, man? Where's the, where's the, where are the munitions? Where are the bombs? I need a bazooka or something. And what are we doing? No, just walk. Just walk. Walk? Yeah, walk. And, and tell, me, tell me what this plan is again. Well, we're going to do this every day. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk seven times. Seven times. Jericho was not a huge city. Seven times. Yeah, seven times. 
And tell me again this genius who's leading us. What's his master plan? Oh, when we're done, we shout. Here's what I want you to do. When you get back to your church next Sabbath, announce to the church that you've got a plan to take your city for Jesus and tell them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the city and shout. <laughs> you know, at the next election, you probably won't be reelected as an elder or a deacon. <laughs> now, another time, God said, just let the, let the singers lead the way. Let the singers lead the way. Go singing into battle. Oh, really? Now, I've, I've met some singers that would turn an army to flight. <laughs> but that's not, what, that's not what God was getting at here. You see, all God's people have ever needed to be is trusting, dependent, leaning heavily on God. Now, thank the Lord, God isn't asking us to go and, 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 and destroy a city. But He is asking us to go and inflict some serious damage on Satan's territory. He's asking us to do that. And what are we going to do? Lord, I don't know that I'm qualified. Lord, I don't know that I'm holy enough. Lord, I don't know that I'm good enough. But you know what I've read in the Bible where it says that God's strength is made perfect in what? All you got to do is be able to say, Lord, I'm weak enough for you to unite your strength with my weakness and do great things. Two men approaching a Philistine stronghold. They are surprised that Jonathan would approach them at all. By the time Jonathan and his armor bearer are done, 20 Dead Philistines litter the area. The Philistines are plunged into confusion. The Bible says there was ultimately a very great discomfiture. The Philistines were routed, not because God sent a marauding army into the theater of battle. They were routed because God harnessed the power of one. If there is no limit to what God can do, I believe we can aim higher than before, pray bigger prayers than before, expect more from God, and offer more of ourselves to God. If we covenant to spend more time in connection with God and demand it, you know something? There is this wonderful quote where it says that the Holy Spirit awaits our demand and acceptance. When was the last time you looked God in the face and said, I demand you send your Holy Spirit into my life? There's nothing stopping you from praying a prayer like that. You think God would be offended by you saying, I hunger and thirst for righteousness? God will bless that. God will bless that. That's what God does. When it comes to our relationship with God, we are in the driver's seat. The Word of God says, 2 Peter 1 and verse 4, that great and precious promises, that through great and precious promises, God's promises, we, be, we may be made partakers of the divine nature. Now, if God, if God has promised you, you know something. When I promise my kids that we're going to go swimming, they don't forget it. And they'll come back and they'll say, Dad, 
I thought we were going swimming. They'll call on the phone. When are you getting home from work? You said we were going swimming. They don't forget. If God has promised you that he will work in your life to make you a partaker of the divine nature, you ought to be on the phone right now and saying, time for you to deliver on that promise. And God will be delighted to hear that. Did you know Corey Ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place, the uh, survivor of the, of the concentration camp, it is said that she would take her Bible, put her finger on a promise, hold it up to God and say, here, you read what it says. <laughs> and why not? When God promises you, that's good enough. And God has promised us that he is able to do great things. There is no limit to the usefulness of one. An author wrote long ago, not in a spiritual context, but she wrote this. We are raising tomatoes when we ought to be raising Lazarus. And that's what we ought to be saying in the church. Because there is no limit to the usefulness of one. God called one man Abraham, and the promise was sure. One man Noah, and humanity was spared. One man Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and maybe you came to God as a result God fortified one prisoner Joseph and his people were prospered he spoke with one woman at the well Jesus did and she called an entire city to come to the feet of Jesus of course it took just one angel Lucifer and all God had created was jeopardized friend there is no limit to the usefulness of one we know that Jesus is coming back soon and we know that the world has got to hear the message that we have to share got to now, there might be somebody on your street who isn't going to hear it any other way than by you and you may be a shrinking violet you may be a shy withdrawn one but you know that there is no limit to the usefulness of one and if we made ourselves available and said Lord I'm willing if you work it out so that the opportunity will come then you know that God will use you powerfully for his kingdom. Lord, here I am. Interesting. I was in an airport once coming back from somewhere, and I was at, it was in New York, and I'm waiting in the, in the waiting lounge, and a man came in, and he had a, a cap on his head, and right on it it said, Give Israel back to the Jews. And I heard him talking. I figured out he was a pastor. And I heard him talking and I said, Lord, I would love to sit next to that man and have a conversation with him. Now, you're going to wonder how I figured out he was a pastor. I mean, I'm not trying to brag or anything. But some of us in ministry, I mean, we're clever. And uh, I figured it out because he had a cell phone with him and he said, Bob, it's Pastor Joe here. <laughs> so that's just a little secret coming from an expert. That's a little secret I want to share with you. Lord, I'm praying. I would love to share with this man. He's a man of God. He appears to be a man of faith. He's a man of deep interest in the scriptures. Can you work it out? So when it was time to get on the plane, uh, I was walking down to take my seat down there in row 400 way in the back of the plane. And I'm walking by. It was just a narrow plane, actually, probably 30 rows and two here and two here with the aisle and I walk by ah, 
I saw him sitting right there. There were two. He was up near the front. Oh, well. Oh, well. Cool. I sat back there. I was dog-tired. I was on my way back from New Zealand. I'd come the long way. And uh, so I plopped down in my seat and said, That's fine, Lord. You get someone else to talk to him. I, I'm just going to sleep right now. I'm nodding off, and I feel this bump on my arm. He said, a man says to me, Excuse me, buddy. He said, uh, I was sitting way up there, but they, they wanted me to move so they could redistribute some of the weight on the plane. Do you mind if I sit here next to you? I looked at his cap. Give Israel back to the Jews. I said, no, man, you're welcome. <laughs> Sit down. I just made myself available, that's all. I'd love to tell you the story. This, he was a great guy, I tell you what. He was a great fella. Um, oh, I, oh, lucky I don't wear a watch. I don't know what the time is. I, uh, you know, we talked about salvation. We talked about Christ. We talked about prophecy. We talked about the 70 weeks prophecy. And, I, you know, I was, I was backing off. I thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I would like to just talk to them about the Sabbath, but, I, you know, I don't, you don't have to talk to everyone you meet about the Sabbath, you know. But, but this guy kept on talking about keeping the commandments of God. I said, so you believe in keeping the commandments of God? I sure do, buddy, every last one of them. <laughs> Lord, you know, we're getting on so well. I, <laughs> I already have his business card. I'm going to send him some stuff. Every, I tell people you got to keep all the Ten Commandments. Well, you asked for it then. <laughs> we had such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. This man's heart was touched. He got a copy of The Great Controversy. We became friends. It was, it was just, all I said was, Lord, if you'd like me to, I'll talk to him. You know, we can pray that prayer. There's someone in my family, Lord, and it's hard to get through to these people. Show me how. If you give me an opportunity, I'll just take the opportunity if you give me courage and grace. That's all. But bring me the opportunity. Help me to see a gap. Help me to know how to get through to somebody. God will do that. There's enough people already just going up to people without even using their brains, and, and they're not making too much progress. But if we'll just say, Lord, here I am, will you use me? God will answer you by saying, I want you to know there is no limit to the usefulness of one. No limit. Lord, you can use me. I can use you. Yes. And i got to tell you, it's exciting when God uses you in some way to reach somebody somehow for his kingdom. That's just exciting. You know, my wife, Melissa, some of you met her. She was at the registration uh, area when you came in yesterday. I'll tell you a little story about Melissa. We had an evangelistic series, a young lady named Angela in her early 30s. She had a son uh, about 11 years of age. Uh, this was in the Bay Area in California. And she lived some distance away, managed to hear the radio ad, got the website address, looked it up and came. She drove uh, against the traffic every night, I mean, 30 miles or something, which in Bay Area traffic takes you about four hours. And she would drive... Every night, loved the message, loved, just loved it. Accept Jesus, yes. Baptized, oh yes. Uh, keep the commandments of God, everyone. And towards the end of the meeting, I had a little interview with her, uh, a meeting with her. So you'd like to be baptized, Angela? She said, I would like to be baptized and be a part of God's end time remnant church. Well, all right, she gets it. 
a little boy, well, a little boy, 11 years old. He wanted to be baptized as well. Come Sabbath morning, her family staged an intervention. Took her car keys. You're not going anywhere, sis. And she lived, I, I guess she lived with her, parent, with her parents and her sister and brother-in-law came by and they just, they just wouldn't let it happen. Next time we saw her, she had a list of questions this long. The devil had just gotten through to her. Well, we left that meeting in, in one part of the Bay Area and then we, we only went like 90 minutes to hold our next evangelistic series. Guess who was there on opening night? She was, and then she left. But on closing night, without me even realizing, uh, this lady and her son turn up and my wife Melissa's in the foyer. And we'd been praying for her. And she says, Melissa, would you help me? I've got these questions. And Melissa listened for a while. She said, Angela, really, really, what's stopping you from being baptized? Nothing. Just at that moment, the deacon walked around the corner holding two baptismal robes. <laughs> you can call it a coincidence if you want. I prefer to call it providence. And there was the deacon and Angela and her son in two robes that just happened to fit. <laughs> Melissa said, enough of the questions. You love Jesus. You believe this message. Why don't you make a decision to be baptized tonight? Tonight, yes, we have a baptistry up there. It was one of these mobile baptistries. It's still full of water. You could be baptized at the end of the meeting. So I, I, I'm finishing my sermon. I say, thank you, everyone. It was the last night. Thank you. Good night. It's been so good. To... And, and the pastor comes up. He says, John, we have something special for you tonight. He said, we have a couple of friends of yours here from the Bay Area. Well, I knew that. They were sitting down on the front row, different friends. He said, and uh, thought maybe tonight you'd be interested. And at that moment, the back door opened and in walked Angela and her son in baptismal robes. They were there to be baptized. The story doesn't end. The story hasn't ended, as a matter of fact. They went back. She started witnessing to her father. Her father was baptized, ended up going on a mission trip to Central America. The sister and the brother-in-law became part of the church as well. Why? Because God was at work, but God spoke through one retiring sweet lady my wife and she just said listen why don't you she said what she could make a decision tonight and God has worked powerfully and last time I was at camp meeting there was Angela and her son still rejoicing in the Lord because there is no limit to the usefulness of one I have to tell you the story Right after I was baptized and uh, joined the Seventh Adventist Church, that took place in London, England. The very next day, I got on a plane, flew back to New Zealand because of the date line. You get there two days later, got back on Tuesday. It was about Thursday. I picked up the phone and called the local Seventh Day Adventist Church because I needed to figure out where it was and find out how I'm going to get there. The pastor says, So, where are you calling from? I said, I'm calling from my hometown. It's called Ngarawahia. I'm calling from Ngarawahia. Oh, he said. We have a family in our church from your town. I said, get out of here, really? Wow, that's great. He said, they might, they might be able to give you a ride. Maybe you know, and I'm just going to make up a name here, maybe you know Bob and Sue Smith. No. I mean, I know a Bob Smith, and his wife is Sue, but it's not them. No way. 
the Bradshaw family was a long-time Catholic family in our town, long time. The Smiths were one of those. There were several families that just kind of mirrored each other, big families, lots of kids, and all the kids were about the same age. And I said, I said to myself, Bob Smith used to be like the chairman of our parish council or something. It ain't him. No way in the world is he a Seventh-day Adventist. The pastor said, well, you know, I'll give Bob a call and see if he'd give you a ride. Great. He calls Bob Smith. Bob, young fellow here in, in your town, Seventh-day Adventist, looking for a ride to church this Sabbath. Maybe you know him. His name is John Bradshaw. Pastor, I know a John Bradshaw, but this is not him. There's no way in the world. He gave Bob my address, and he says to his wife, Sue, he says, that, that sounds like John and Betty Bradshaw's place, which is my parents'. That can't be. I'll never forget the Sabbath morning they arrived, drive up our little blacktop driveway, and I can still see in my mind that, that, that white van, and, and Bob gets out, and he, it's you, he said. I go, ah, it's you. We just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I mean, you've got to imagine our families were, were pillars in the local Catholic church, and this wasn't going to happen. Oh, we rejoiced, and I, it was good to see Sue again and their children. Oh, there was the oldest, the girl, Mary, eight, nine years old or something. And then the boy, and then the boy, and then the boy. There would have been more if they hadn't joined the Adventist church. You can be sure of that. <clears throat> it was wonderful. Oh, we spent some, I spent time at their house, and we just, he told me his conversion story, and I shared mine with him. It was just great. It was great. Years later, I'm back. And I'm preaching at that same church. It's a regional day. There were people from all over the, the city were there from different churches. I'm getting towards the end of the sermon, coming in, bringing the plane into land, you know. And, uh, and the Lord says to me, I didn't hear an audible voice, but you just feel strongly impressed. Make an appeal. I said, I'm, I got that one covered. I'll make an appeal. But the Lord said, no, you need to make an altar call. So while I'm preaching, I get involved in this discussion with God. I said, no, no, I can't do that. That wouldn't be a good idea. I'll just make, I'll have them stand or raise their hand or something. No, no. Need you to make an altar call. I said, Lord, you don't understand. Which is one of the things God really appreciates about me is I help him understand things that he doesn't understand. I said, Lord, you don't understand. I'm here from the United States. So already they think that I'm the big shot American preacher. And I, you know, I sound to them like an American. Can you believe that? They, no, really. You think that's funny. They think I'm from the United States. If I stand here, Lord, and make an altar call with my American-tinged accent, and, and, and I'm this American evangelist, they're just going to think that I'm showing off. I'm not doing it. It's going to make an altar call, John. Right at that moment, one of the pastors who was there came forward to the keyboard and started playing... An appeal song. And I looked down, and he looked up at me and went like this and played. I said, you roped him in on this as well? All right. Make the altar call. Made the altar call, and people came. I asked for people who wanted to be baptized to come, people who have fallen away from God and need to come back to Jesus to come. I made it pretty specific, and people came. And as I looked, I'll never, I still see her like it was yesterday. Back there... Right about in that direction, Mary, 
except she's not nine now, she's, I don't know, whatever she was, and she's holding a baby on her hip. And she comes forward looking solemn. Afterwards, I spoke with Mary back there. Mary, she said, oh, John, a lot has changed since I saw you last. Well, tell me, tell me. I said, uh, I see you have a baby. That's just a polite way of saying, are you married? <laughs> so you have a baby. She said, yeah, yeah, my, I've been married for a while, and he's a great guy, but he'll have nothing to do with church, nothing. Um, he said, his roots are the same as ours in religion, and he don't want anything to do with this, not a thing. Now, he, he's a nice man, and he lets me come to church, but he, no. I said, what about you? I haven't been to church much, but this morning, she said, I just felt impressed to come to church, and when I saw you were preaching, I knew God had led me. Great. How's your family? Well, mum and dad aren't in the church anymore. Oh, no, why? Well, it's a long story, but dad went back to drinking. Dad had been an alcoholic. When he came to the Lord, that got taken care of, but now he, I mean, People who go back to alcohol don't often come back to sobriety. I said, oh, they're not together. Dad went back drinking. They're split up. They're out of the church. What about your brothers? Well, she said that the oldest one, he's into smoking dope. And the next one, well, he wishes he was into smoking dope. <laughs> and the next one, it's just a dope. So they're, they're gone, especially the young ones. They don't really remember much about the church. And the older one, he just, his head's in a different place now. Oh, no. And then she said, but John, I think Jesus called me back today for a reason. She said, I'm going to go now and win my whole family back to the Lord. Inside, I said, that will never happen. I mean, you've got a, they've been married 30 years and split up. They don't often reconcile. And, 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 even, and if they didn't reconcile, I mean, both of them aren't going to come back to church. I mean, surely. And the guy who's now back on the booze, and you've got these, these boys, one of them barely out of his teens, and the other's in their late teens, and the husband. I said, what are you going to do? She said, John. God brought me back today. And if he can bring me back, he can bring them back. And I'm going to pray that God will bring them back. And I'll tell God that he can use me any way he wants to help that happen. All right, great. I'll, I'll pray too. Under the circumstances, my prayers probably wouldn't have been worth a whole lot. I'll pray too. And we prayed then. And she said, John, I believe God's going to bring my family back. All right. Next time I was back, a couple of years later, to hold an evangelistic series in that church. And now, I come to the church and there's Mary bounds up to see me. She's got two babies now, one on her, on her, on her hip and one down here. And she says, John, great to see you. How are things going? I said, how are things going? Oh, you're never going to believe how God has blessed you. She said, Dad, quit drinking. I said, wow, that's a miracle. Yes, and Dad and Mom got back together. Well, I felt like I was standing on holy ground. But there was more to come. I mean, she's talking about a whole family coming back to the church. She said, and they've been rebaptized and they're active in church again. Oh, 
Hallelujah, I said. What about your brothers? The oldest one, he's been coming back to church, says he's coming to your meetings. Same as the second one. Third one, he's a little harder to get through to. How about your husband? Husband is attending the archaeology seminar. No way. Mm-hmm. He is. I'm standing there thinking, God is doing great things. Through this, this girl didn't have any theological training. She hadn't been to any Bible training institute. But she had knees. And she knew how to get down on them and pray. And look what God had done. Well, here's what happened. In the archaeology seminar, they're sitting in that seminar, and, and she's sitting next to her husband, Mary, and I'm going to call him, um, I'm gonna call him uh, uh, Bob. No, the dad is Bob. I can't call him Bob. <laughs> Mary and, um, give me a name. Steve? Steve, great name. Mary and Steve. And so, what, well, Mary and Steve. So they're sitting together in the archaeology seminar, and he leans over to her and he says, you know, Mary, I believe this. The speaker was talking about Noah's Ark. Good, good, that's good. Shh. No, no. I believe that what he's saying is true. So if what he's saying is true, then the Bible must be true. So, um, and she said, yes, I've told you the Bible's true. I've told you that many times. Shh. No, no, you don't understand. If the Bible's true, then I believe the Bible. I decide I'm going to believe the Bible from now on. That's good, dear. Shh. The Bible says you should get baptized, right? Yes, yes. Shh. Okay, I'm going to get baptized. You think that's okay? What? <laughs> Shh. Baptized. And word spread right throughout the church community that Steve had made a decision that he was going to be baptized. Wow. No, I mean, he had some things to iron out. I mean, you know, he worked on Sabbath and a number of things going on. But he'd made the decision and he was going to grow and, and give his life to Jesus in baptism at the appropriate time. Hallelujah. And then he said to her later, he said, you know, I've made a decision that I need to be a Christian and, and I'm going to be baptized and join this church. We need to go after your brothers now and get all of them. Yes, let's do that. Steve and the two oldest boys, they attend every meeting. Except Jesus, they check on that card. Yes. Uh, baptized? Yes, they want to be baptized. Keep the commandments of God? Yes. And, but but the, the fourth one, well, well, the fourth one, third brother, fourth guy, he's not coming to the meetings. Now, Dad, Bob, missed one of the meetings one night. He shouldn't have, but he did. He was at home watching a Christian television program, and it was about praying for your children. And so he got down on his knees, and he poured out his heart to God. He said, God, I am so thankful for what you have done for my family. Thank you for bringing me and Sue back together and back to the church. And thank you for Mary and for Steve and for the two older boys. But Lord, there's another one. And he's got to be there. He's got to be there moving us at that very moment. That son was back at the family home, sitting on the back step, smoking a cigarette. As his dad is praying 30 miles away, he stops and he thinks, wait a minute, why am I doing this? I need to be at those meetings of John's. 
listening to the Bible. He stubs out his cigarette, runs into the house. Where is that Bible of mine? Finds it, gets in his car. And I remember him arriving at the meeting about 30 minutes late. It was a year later I was back at, uh, at a youth meeting. Mary was one of the organizers of that youth conference. Her husband, Steve, was sitting on the front row, and so were all three of Mary's brothers. One of them became a student missionary, and one of them today is an it is written Bible worker. Is God great, yes or no? I want to encourage you today, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit and lives a life consecrated to God. There is a world to reach. And who are we? Oh, I know in this room we have some brilliant people and some qualified people and some expert people and some experienced people. But really, against a lost world and the great challenges it presents, Together with Jesus, even the weakest one can do great things for the kingdom of God. Friend, I want to encourage you today to keep on praying for your family members. Keep on praying for the folks in your street and in your community. Keep on praying for the hard cases, the unlikely ones, the ones you figure will never be baptized. Pray for them. I was one of them once. Pray for the people living in the 1040 window, the people living in communist countries. Pray for the people in secular Europe and secular North America. And make yourself available to God by saying, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever it is you ask me to do. Something, anything for you. Because we know today that there is no limit to what God can do in reaching people for his kingdom through any one of us. Let's pray together and tell God right now we're willing. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are willing. We are not making any claims about ourselves, but we are willing. And we pray, Lord, we pray. Do great things, please, for your kingdom. Save our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, the people in our community, the people who have been attending church but are resisting surrender, the people in Bible studies but they're hard to get through to, the people who would be of a great influence in their community if they would just come to Jesus. Missionaries, future missionaries and teachers and evangelists. Lord, make a difference, please. And We tell you today we are willing. Friend, if you're willing, would you say to the Lord, I'm willing to be a Jonathan. I'm willing. To, would you raise your hand? Don't make a promise. Just tell God you're willing for him to use you however he wants to use you. Nothing more exhilarating than sharing Jesus with somebody somehow. And there's a million ways to do it. Lord, we're willing and you are able. Put our willingness together with your ability and make a difference for eternity, we pray. In Jesus' name, please say with me, amen and amen.